Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Welcome to the Sandbox Story, where I'm interviewing Dr. Christy Wynn. Dr. Wynn, it's a real pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I've always wanted to converse with you. You have such a social media presence, and uh, you do so many things that uh, drive conversation amongst optometrists. It's a real pleasure to get to know you here. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you told me when we talked before this that you're an oldest child, and I'm a big believer in the book, The Birth Order, which means um, if you're first, you're naturally driven. Um, I guess that shows you graduated college in three years. Tell me about what motivated you early in life. Um, I just pushed myself. Um, I didn't need anybody to push myself. I just knew that I wanted to do well, and I didn't like not being the top in the class. Um, I figured if somebody can do it, I can try to do it hard, um, better. I just have to put in more effort. Um, you know, growing up in a family of seven uh, with two working parents who are factory workers, you know, we didn't have a lot. So I knew that I had to work really hard to get to the same place somebody else who was more privileged. But I knew that, you know, being in America, that we had that opportunity, but we just have to put that work in. Well, so, you're, so your parents? Your parents worked in factories. Were they born here or elsewhere? They um, were born in Vietnam. We left during the end of the war. Um, they wanted um, a better life for their children, and that's why they took the risk. Uh, we were boat people. Um, I was born in Vietnam, but I left. We left when I was only three months old, um, not knowing how we are going to survive in the U.S. and even what we were going to get there. Um, but we made it. And um, we were able to, you know, they were able to provide for the family. And I'm so fortunate to have them take that risk for me and for my siblings. That's such an interesting story. So think about packing up a three-month-old and others and, and literally leaving your homeland. That, do you have a different sense as you get older of appreciation for what your parents did? Um, not really, because, again, I grew up pretty Americanized. Um, being, you know, leaving when I was three months. So, I mean, I literally grew up in the U.S. So a lot of times when people ask, I didn't remember my homeland at all. Um, I hear stories that they tell me. It, it's stories, you know. It's, I'm so Americanized. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's what you went through, but I don't know. Uh, it's an impressive story. I can only imagine how challenging that was for your parents. Um, so you're married now to a DO. Where did you meet your spouse? Uh, we met during uh, graduate school. So he was in the DO program and I was in the OD program. And we had some mutual friends that connected us. And it just, we hit it off at the very beginning of graduate school. And this was in Nova, at Nova? Um, at Nova, yes. Well, so tell me a little bit about the, the practice that he has. Um, he actually is not practicing right now. He's a okay. little bit burnt out. Um, mm -hmm. He was working at the ER um, for about three years. And it was just, very, um, I don't know, he loved the, the the work, but he didn't like the drive. It was about a little over an hour and a half drive one way. So, I mean, after three years, he was kind of burnt out just driving there. 
Um, so he's kind of taking a little bit of a break. Yeah, that's really tough. Um, I know a lot in Florida, you know, sometimes work for healthcare providers requires a lot of tran- transportation, a lot of transit time. Yes. Um, tell me about your children. Um, you know, with all that you do in optometry, we don't get much insight to your family. Tell us about them. Well, they are 9 and 11 years old, both girls. Um, they go to a private school only because it's only a block away from the in-laws. So we, we have them enrolled there because it's across from the in-laws. Um, and it is a pretty good private school as well. Um, the classes are smaller. So we feel pretty safe for them to be there. Um, they do pretty well in school. We try to keep them pretty active. Whatever sport they want to do, we, we sign them up for. Whatever extra activity they want to do or be involved with, we always sign them up. Um, so it's a good balance. Um, takes a lot of time, though, uh, planning between my schedule and my husband's schedule and to see wh- you know, who's able to pick up whom on what day. So it's it chaotic sometimes. You talked about sports. Is anybody in the family artistically or musically coordinated? Uh, they were in piano for a couple of years, but they stopped that. They're doing gymnastics now, but it's like uh, it's not the gymnastics you think of. It's a couple of levels less uh, difficult um, because of the private school setting. Um, but no, not, nothing crazy. My husband was in soccer before; I was in tennis, but it wasn't like we weren't in, we weren't on a scholarship or anything like that. So you've said that um, you have a very special capability with your hairstyle. I want to hear about that. Yeah. So after my second one was born, um, it just took so much time to get the kids out of the house to uh, go get my hair cut. But I started cutting my own hair and I started experimenting with coloring my own hair as well. Uh, so because I have actually really thick hair, it literally takes about an hour if I go to the salon to have them cut it. It doesn't look that way, but it, you have to cut it in the right layer. So I just figured I'd watch YouTube and learn how to cut it myself. Uh, so every, you know, I, I already washed my hair, but this is without any products in my hair. Um, and I did color it recently. There's three colors that you can see. I'm not sure if you wow. can see it. There's three yeah. colors. Each color, I blended two other colors in because I don't want anyone to duplicate my colors. So I always mix at least two colors to get a one color look. Um, so I, I did, I did, color this just last night so it's a little bit on the darker side right now that's awesome well that makes something in common for you and me and george clooney we all do our own hair (laughs) i I just heard yesterday that george clooney bought one of those vacuum attachments called a floby many moons ago and Uh he still to this day uses a floby to cut his own hair is that the one where it's almost like a vacuum cleaner but it cuts (laughs) i saw that in the commercial it was an infomercial many years ago, and, and yeah. here this multi-millionaire actor right. uh, has something in common with you and me. We do our own hair. <laughs> so I, I asked you about how you got interested in optometry, and some people will tell me about a really interesting person in their life or about how they wore contact lenses at a young age or something else. But your words were, it was my calling, a biblical story triggered my choice. Would you yeah. mind telling me the story? Sure. I mean, I don't know the exact because I always take the fun out of it. But let's just say I grew up a, a very religious in terms of we went to church literally almost every single day. Um, the only reason I would get out of church is if I had like a school function. Um, but pretty much every single day would go to church. And you know, after a while, the message kind of just went all together. But I remember in junior high, I was searching through what kind of career choice I wanted to do. 
And I remember that um, sermon, the preacher was talking about, he was saying how um, God cured the blind. Um, the, the blind was able to open up their eyes and see the world. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, how great would that be for me to have that same um, gift to give somebody? I mean, at that time, I was wearing glasses and contact lenses, so I knew exactly what it felt. And I could see the leaves on the trees. Like, I didn't realize there were leaves on trees. I literally just thought there were blobs until I got my correction. Um, so when that message came through, I was just like, oh my gosh, it's like an epiphany just hit me and said, you know, you can't quite do surgery since you're squeamish with blood, but you can definitely be, you know, an optometrist. That's who you go to get your prescription. So why can't you be that person to give somebody that gift of sight? I mean, it's literally instant. So that's, that's how that's it started. You really made that connection to that biblical story. That's fascinating and wonderful. So you mentioned earlier you have this fairly large family, seven siblings. Um, Now, let's talk about the bookends. You said you have this one sister who has tuberous sclerosis, and it's affected her life. Has she been able to get by with it? Uh, Yes. So today she got her results back on her MRI. She doesn't have any cancer, but she does have a couple of uh, lesions throughout her her body. I mean, it's literally everywhere. They have some in her brain, her heart, her lungs. Uh, I believe she has some in her kidneys as well. Um, So it does affect her in terms of uh, mentally. She's a little bit mentally challenged. Uh, She acts along the, you know, I think she just turned 32 today, I think. Um, but she acts as if she's still in high school. Um, so mentality level, that's where she's at. She's in a lot of pain a lot of the time with a lot of headaches. Um, she can't do much throughout the day. So she does live with my parents right now, but it does limit her, her functionality, um, from day to day. Well, I wish her a happy birthday. And, um, your youngest brother has Down syndrome. How is he doing? He's just the happiest person you can meet. Um, you know, he doesn't speak clearly. Uh, he mumbles a lot, but he loves to sing and he's a hugger. So if you ever meet him, he will definitely give you a hug if, if you let him. Um, but he's just the happiest person you can meet unless he doesn't get his way, of course. But, uh, <laughs> uh, that, so, but he's, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me about how, you know, loving and caring for these family members has affected your ability to take care of similarly uh, able people when you do patient care? Because I think you probably have a more pro- more profound uh, ability to communicate and understand than maybe some other ODs do. Um, you must really enjoy seeing people that are similarly able to your siblings. Well, yeah, I just have to approach it a little bit differently because they're basically just big kids. Um, and that's how I approach it. And I did work about seven and a half years with Children's Medical Services, where I saw special needs um, patients under the age of 21. So it really just put a different perspective when you're seeing them as a patient versus seeing them as a family member. So as a family member, I let them do whatever they want. But as a patient, you kind of have to direct them along this exam so you can obtain certain information. So it's more like just playing games with them and just making it fun, a fun experience. And I kind of, you know, take part of what I know with my siblings and incorporate that into when I see patients who are special needs. Um, so it does, it does help. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of optometrists come out of optometry school and there's this dream of a lifetime in practice and owning a practice. But you've made yeah. 
a career out of being a contractor and you like it. Tell me why that mode is so desirable to you. Well, originally when I first got out of school, I did want to have my own practice, but I didn't know if I really wanted to do that um, because everyone that I spoke to said that it took five years to recoup your investment. And I didn't have five years or the money of five years to do that. So I started contracting. And by contracting, I was able to work in retail settings and private settings. I was able to work with optometrists as well as ophthalmologists, uh, with opticians even. And it was just opened up so many doors for me. And I love being able to go to different practices, seeing how what they do that's different from another practice. And it just gave me such an insight of all the capability of what optometrists can do. But it also gave me it also scared me because a lot of the reason most private practices hate private practice is insurance. And I was like, well, you know, I don't do the business end of things. I just, I want to see patients. So there would be no reason for me to have my own private practice because I would be dealing more with the management side. And I don't want to do that. I want to do the patient care side. Um, so the flexibility as a contractor just allows me to be a mom. And once I had a family, I really just, you know, rang in. It's like, do I want to spend all this time at the office or do I want to spend this time at home with my kids and just take time off at my leisure when my husband said, hey, I got days off, so let's go to the beach. So I'm, I'm able to just text two employers and get the whole week off. And it was easy because there was only a couple of days here, a couple of days there. Versus if I worked, you know, as an employee at a place and I'm, I'm supposed to be there for an entire week, they would have to find coverage for the entire week. So it just worked with our, my schedule, my husband's schedule. Uh, we love to travel. So that's why I can't do anything but contacting at this time because I need the flexibility. You probably see all kinds of different practice styles in the places that you do patient care. Are there yeah. occasions when you run into styles that don't match to yours and then you can sort of shortcut continuing at those places? Or have you generally found matches with the people that you work? Yeah, generally, I would try to work a couple of days to get a feel for it. They need me longer than just a couple of days to fill in. I'd hate to ever commit myself to more than three days at an office without having to work there those three days prior. So I always ask to trial run their office for two to three days before I commit, um, because that just gives me a chance to work with their staff to see if their staff is well-trained or poorly trained, because that would affect how well I see my patient care. Um, and also, I want to check out their equipment because, again, not everybody has the same equipment. So are they on paper chart or are they on um, EHR? Is their EHR, is it an easy-to-use EHR or is it very complicated? Um, so, like I said, I like to see the flow of the office, um, the flow of the patient, the staff, how well everybody works together. Because I don't want to be at an office that isn't well put together. And you'd be surprised how many isn't versus how many are. Until you yeah, it's... It's an unfortunate reality, and I know a lot of practices know that they have degrees of relative unhealthiness in their practice, and you would be as good of a person to give them that insight as anybody, but I know you probably don't. I also think of you being as somebody who probably has sampled enough different EHR systems that you can give each of those companies some feedback about what they do well and what they don't. Um. <laughs> so what about in the COVID era, what about the differences in how you know practices are giving you the opportunity to have proper protections for doctors, staff, and patients? Are you feeling pretty comfortable about the implementation of you know the proper yeah. taking yeah? 
Mm-hmm. And if I'm not, I will request it. So if they want me to stay on board, I'll just let them know, okay, I love this and this about your practice. However, this is not, I'm not comfortable with that. And they'll usually try to meet my demand because they want me to stay there. That's great. So you've also had all these really interesting endeavors outside of optometry. And um, yeah. I think you said to me in a, an email, it keeps life interesting and allows you to network and meet people from different walks of life. So let me hit on each of these and then summarize them. First of all, sure. uh, what is cookie? Uh, a bre- a ma- you know, capitalized the word cookie. I don't know what that is. So it's cool optic optometry um, innovation. Kudos, and what's the last one? E, uh, R, I forgot what that E stood for. Sorry to put you on the spot. It's okay. It's basically an, um, it's basically an Asian specific, um, online magazine, uh, specifically for optometry. So they already had one for ophthalmology, and I think they call it Mice. Or no, they're Mice Media. I think they're called Cake. It's called Cake. I can't, I don't even know what that one stands for. And we're called Cookie, and so they wanted a um, different advisory board members from different um, countries, so then we can give a better voice towards this magazine. Um, so that was very recent. So that's why I don't have all the letters. That's okay. Out. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of heritage or ethnicity specific connections in a profession. Is this group specifically aiming at storytelling and publication um, documentation around things that are of particular interest to those who are of Asian heritage? Yes, so basically they want um, expertise from the Asian side as well as the American side or you know, if it's in Europe, so we have doctors on the board from different countries, but we want to put a voice towards everything. Kind of like if we want to talk about like myopia control. We do things a little bit differently in the U.S. versus in Asia. Um, but all in general, it's very similar. And they just want to get a voice for, for They just want everyone to have a voice. And that's I where we I'll come in to give them a little bit of input on suggestions about future topics or current topics that they have. And, and being an optometrist who you know does a lot of different things, um, you also go outside of the profession. So you've been a skincare consultant. I'm curious yeah. about that. And like, how much time do you commit to that in a, any given week or month? Um, on a daily basis, let's put it this way. For the skincare, you're basically just networking, which most of us are doing anyway without realizing it. If you're on social media, you're networking, you're talking to people. That's all it is. Posting something on your Instagram, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, whatever social media platform. So it's stuff you're normally doing, but now you're getting paid for it. Uh, so that journey kind of led to all these other journeys that I'm in because before this, I was not a very social person. I was very private. Uh, people don't believe me when I say that I tell them I'm an introvert and if you saw me at a party, I'm like a fly on the wall. You would not, you would see me when you wouldn't hear me because I would not approach anybody. Um, but because of the skincare, it taught that you have to basically step out of your comfort zone if you want to see change. And that literally is true for every aspect of your life. If you don't change where you're comfortable, how will you see growth? And with that mentality, I kind of took it across everything that I approached. And I now, in a room of people, I would actually approach you and introduce myself, which before I never in a million years would I do it. But um, that's why I'm an optometrist. I only talk to one person. But now being this, you know, people look at me and they're like, oh, Christy, you're like a social butterfly. I'm like, no, it, it takes a lot of effort for me to get out my comfort zone 
and to come talk to people. It's like I have to be this other person. Um, but it does give me so much input on my self-development and how I just approach everything in my business. And that just opened up all these doors to all these collaborations that I've been able to, to obtain just this year. So believe it or not, most of my endeavors started 2020, right before COVID hit, or some, and the other was during COVID and, you know, still happening. So these doors didn't open right away. It took three years for my social media presence to literally just out there. <laughs> you talked about, I mean, I take away from that this bigger talking point of to, to change and to grow, you have to be willing to become uncomfortable. What a, what a great yeah. statement. Um, you're also an ambassador of, for an eyewear brand. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, so Kazuka Lynette is who I rep for. Um, they basically reached out to me at the beginning of COVID and just say, you know, we, we fit, we have an Asian fit brand that we would want you to represent. Because um, at the time, he didn't have any Asians <laughs> representing his brand. So he's like, I can't design Asian um, frames without an Asian modeling it. But because I will be an ambassador instead, I do get a percentage of all the sales that I connect them with, whether it be an individual sale or a full-on account. Um, so I do try to promote his independent eyewear line with my colleagues because it is a great deal. Um, he does connect with each doctor on their own accounts and see what would work for their office um, so that he, he helps out them. And, you know, with insurances, again, we know that with independent eyewear line, you don't, you get a bigger cut with insurance because the markup is completely up to you versus mm -hmm. if you go through all these other vendors, you have a tap on it and you don't make as much. So I learned all kinds of stuff now for my private practice friends and colleagues. Um, so I'm really excited with that. So I should be appearing in a couple of magazines coming up. I'm so excited. So you're also part of a group called Optometry Divas. What's the mission of that organization? Well, the mission of Optometry Divas is we empower, connect, and promote other female optometrists. We basically want to give a, the female voice a safe place to come and just connect. We feel like with women, we are on just a different level than men. We have different stresses that we encounter as a mom, a wife, and an optometrist. So a lot of times we don't feel as comfortable um, talking about some of this issues in front of our male colleagues. And sometimes it's almost like we feel like we're being shunned and we do voice it in our regular groups. So this new group just empowers us to just relax, have fun, but still get, you know, continue education when we do meet. Um, but just to feel, you know, connected with other optometrists and know that, you know, you're, that we're not alone. What a great idea. Um, so the profession is becoming much more diverse and I personally enjoy seeing the face of the profession looking like yours. Um, what is your viewpoint on how the profession has begun to change? You see it in schools and colleges and the applicant pools. Um, you seem to be a, a prototype of today and tomorrow's optometrist of somebody who can do a lot of things and be the representation of what I think is a powerful and very important voice in the profession. So I feel like there's so many different ways you want to, you can approach it. You can be like the best doctor in town, but if you don't go out there to educate the masses, then you're still connecting to a very small, a small group of people. So I feel now with social media being this huge opportunity and a huge platform for, for doctors in general, just to go on and educate in a fun way to engage their audience. You educate 
tons of people who may not know about some of these things that we take for granted. Like I just did last week about diabetic retinopathy. We see it all the time and it's like, oh, it's just diabetes in the bag. But there's some patients like, oh, I didn't know I could get all those things because I have diabetes. I'm like, yeah, because we see it all the time. But to a common lay person, they don't know that. So, I mean, even if you go back to my post, you would see people write, oh my gosh, I'm diabetic. I didn't know that all that, that needs to be checked. I'm, you know, I'm so grateful you posted this. I'm going to go get my eyes checked now. And that's what I want to do. I want to be able to impact just at least one person, um, if not more, with my post so that they know that we as optometrists can do that for them. And um, they need to come see us so we can, you know, we can check their eyes and make sure their eyes are healthy and that their body is healthy and coordinate that with their primary care. You know, I had an interview in one of my sandbox stories with Dr. Adam Ramsey. He talked about serving a patient base that wants to see him because they identify with him, right? They're also Black Americans who say, I want my doctors to be like me. And um, do you find that you bring in a clientele of patients that are connecting with you because of your uh, Asian heritage? Or do you, I mean, I know you see any patients, but does that endear yourself to some patients? Mm, some. I would say a very few, only because I prefer to do the exam in English. <laughs> So if a patient comes in and they're reading me, I would I would tell them, would you prefer, if I see them struggling, so I first off, I just speak in English. But if I see them struggling, I'll say, okay, would you, would you rather I do the exam in Vietnamese? Makes sense. Um, and then again, when I get to the education part, it does take me a little bit of uh, being creative because again, some of the words we're taught, it's not, I know how I know to say it in Vietnamese. Um, so, but my specialty is more in contact lens, but, um, mostly like multifocal contact lens. So I do get a lot of referrals for that because patients do see pretty well after they're done with me. And, um, and I spend a lot of time with them. I give them realistic expectations that they leave seeing better than they thought coming in. So that's what my specialty is, not necessarily because I'm Asian, but because um, of my contact lens uh, fitting. Understood. So back to the social media presence. I mean, it takes time. You seem very active, but more, really intentional. What was your original rationale? You talked about how it took three years. Was there a goal to get connections or was there a goal to just sort of take this introverted personality and allow yourself to be a little more vulnerable and visible? Yes. So it's a second. Okay. So I would have to post every single day and that was really hard because I didn't always have materials every day. So at the beginning, it was not very consistent. But the thing with social media is you have to be consistent because you just never know when somebody may be on. Um, sometimes they're on today, but it may be like months before they're back on. So if you don't post every single day, they may just miss your post. So, you know, some people follow me daily, but most hate, you know, most people on social media don't follow you daily because they're not on their daily. They have other lives as well. So you just have to keep putting yourself out there and you just never know what that, when that one post will impact the person that when they see it. So it is very intentional. I try to be very specific when I put anything out. It has to reflect who I am as a person, what I represent, and what I believe in. Because if it doesn't come across my post, then I'm wasting the post in terms of it's a meaningless post. I'm wasting your time and wasting my time when I could just be spending it with my family. So I feel that, you know, with social media, you have to be intentional. Uh, most of us have lived very busy lives. We can't spend 20 hours on social media and brand ourselves, but we can put very... Uh, small allotted times throughout the day and just, you know, nitpick who we want to communicate with 
and who we want to build the relationship with. So it's really interesting. You are very intentional to make sure that the post is meaningful. And my general statement is that many people who participate actively in social media don't pass their posts through that filter. And so a lot of it, pardon my phrase, is garbage. Would you have a point of view that's different than that? Uh, no, I agree. So, <laughs> so I've, I've, I've been asked by certain groups to speak to their company um, or even a different, you know, just different groups about social media because they see that my branding has been very intentional and they see that it is um, effective. So they reach out because they want to know how I'm doing, what I'm doing, what are my game plans. And the funny thing is I'm taught all of this through my skincare business. Um, so like I said, it all starts from the skincare business, something I'd never even thought in a million years I would do, but it literally has trained me in such a way that it just put so much growth in me as a person, as an individual, that I literally carry the knowledge across for my optometry. And, and the amazing thing is my optometry is growing. Um, so I think that's establishing. So you just never know what opening up one door would do. It literally could open up like a billion other doors, but you just have to open up that one door first. Well, in skincare, these networking businesses, the network is necessary for the financial success to happen. And I think that it's the uh, the 180 degree flip in most businesses, particularly in healthcare, right? There's patience and revenue, but we believe we need to somehow use social media to create more relationship management and assurance patients will come back and maybe get a few new patients. And because it's different in that regard from the core I think that there's so much that a doctor should be thinking about learning from a business that's a traditional networking business if they want to get their social media right. But it takes yes. time. I mean, I have to guess that yeah. you spend a lot of time on this, yes? I don't. Because <laughs> I, I don't have time to do this. every. Like, I don't have time to spend 24 hours. I love to sleep. So I want to make sure I get, like, seven to eight hours of sleep each day. Um, then I also have my two kids and a husband. To take care of. I also work four days a week. So I'm very busy. I mean, our Tommy Diva event is coming up on Thursday. I've been trying to plan that because I'm one of the board members. Um, so, I mean, my days is pretty packed. And, you know, I, I have a collaboration with Test Magazine. I have five photo shoots for them. I've done two and a half. So I still have like a two and a half to do. And I'm also doing photo shoots for Kazuku Lunette because I got some new friends in. So you know, I'm really busy. I don't have time to be on social media the entire day to brand, um, but I make it look that way. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as you have a very good plan, you're very intentional, and you get the posts that match your personal point of view, I think the thing that really sucks people into social media is the dealing with comments and back and forth. And I think if you're smart and you sort of take that part of it away, dealing with what yeah. you have to, you can you can do what you've accomplished. And I think that's really interesting. You you admit it's not what running your life and that's uh, that's admirable. Thanks. So what gives you joy in your personal life? We've talked about these work relationships and your you know social media influencing and such, but what kind of things give you joy personally? Personally, I love to travel. I love to travel because I love to eat. So I travel to eat. So um, I think we saw, I started traveling like two years ago. I finally took my first international trip. We went to Asia for two weeks. It was like amazing. We did it again last year for two weeks, different places in Asia. So it was so bummed out when COVID hit this year and I couldn't travel. So I'm itching to go next year if, you know, traveling opens up 
because when you see different cultures, it's not the same as just eating the dish here. You know, you can have a, um, a Thai dish, but it's not the same as eating Thai food in Thailand and seeing the people and just being around that atmosphere is so different. Um, so that's what I live for is to travel. <laughs> and do, do you take your kids on these international trips? I have not, only because their palate is very Americanized. So I have not taken them because I don't want to get stuck in um, a country and they're like, well, we want chicken nuggets and french fries. Right. Like, no. <laughs> that's why I kind of start training them at home first. And then if they're able to eat that, then we would take them. And they were just very young at that time. At that time, like I said, that two years ago, they were seven in line. And I wasn't feeling safe enough to take them on those trips yet. So you like to eat. You told me you like to eat desserts and you like yeah. to travel. So you must have some physical endeavors you pursue because uh, you do a great job, you know, keeping yourself active and fit. Um, what kind of things do you recommend optometry, optometry colleagues do that you do that keeps yourself, your mind and body fit? Well, I just eat intentionally. So I started this program called Noom. It's an app where you're, they teach you like on a mindset level how to interpret and connect with food so that you're just not eating mindlessly. Again, it's very intentional of what I put in my body so that everything is a balance. So you still can eat what you want, just not overindulge. And I think that's the problem with a lot of us Americans who overindulge and that's where the weight gain comes in. Uh, before, I never had to worry about that, but as age kicks in, um, I may not look my age, but as age kicks in, let's just say my metabolism started to slow down and I couldn't lose the weight that I was putting on because I was eating so much dessert. But starting on this program, it's only been about two months. I've lost nine pounds and I'm still, I'm almost to my ideal weight. So I only got a couple pounds left. So I'm able to still eat dessert. We just had a cookies and cream pie for dinner. I think I had some ice cream yesterday. So I'm still eating my dessert, just smaller portions. <laughs> life of a life of measured moderation. Right. If there was one more thing that you thought you might want to say to a really large room full of optometrists, what would it be? My Always my recommendation is to network early. You just never know who you're going to meet in life and who, how that person's going to change your life. You know, one person that you meet may be the connector to your future dream job in the future. You just never know. So it's good to be nice to everybody. It doesn't matter what their stature is because who knows where they will be 10 years from now. So be nice to everyone, connect to everyone, treat everyone as how you want to be treated and go from there. Uh, Dr. Christy Wynn, I can't thank you enough for your willingness to be a part of Sandbox Stories. I really enjoyed hearing your stories and thank you so much for spending some time with us. You're welcome. I'm so glad you asked me. Yes. And to the audience, as always, thanks for attending and listening to these fascinating sandbox stories. Until my next sandbox story, be great at all you do. Bye.